as a concept, people are always talking about they want to live longer. But the reality is, is when you say to someone, well, if you could live to 110, but you're going to spend the last 30 to 40 years of your life in nursing homes and not able to, you know, do things for yourself and you're going to need all of this help. People kind of reconsider that and say, yeah, I don't really want to live longer necessarily. I want to live better. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am so excited to share with you our guest today, Dr. Philip Ovedia. He grew up in Long Island, completing an accelerated pre-med and medical school program in Pennsylvania, and then went on to complete a residency in general surgery, followed by a fellowship in cardiothoracic surgery. He's been a practicing heart surgeon since 2005, and he is on a mission to help as many people as possible avoid the need for heart surgery. We're going to talk about this in his book, Stay Off My Operating Table. I think everybody wants to stay off your operating table. Philip, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome to have you here with us today. Thank you, Dr. Richard. Great to be here with you. And yes, uh, I agree that everyone should want to stay off my operating table. Uh, But unfortunately, that's becoming increasingly difficult to do in our environment today. And uh, that's why we're going to have a conversation about what people can and should be doing to empower themselves uh, to ensure that they don't end up on my operating table or anyone else's. Well, I love this. We've, We've done health episodes. We've never really done a heart-centric episode. We've certainly never done one with one of the most well-known heart doctors on the planet. So uh, there's part of your bio that I skipped over intentionally because I want to hear your story. So what I love to do with everybody is let's hop in your time machine. Let's go back and talk about what put you on the journey you're on today. Yeah, sure thing. You know, ultimately what put me on this journey is that I was a very unhealthy heart surgeon that was destined for my own operating table, so to speak. Uh, I was morbidly obese. I was pre-diabetic. I have the family history. And I started asking myself, you know, if if you can't figure this out for yourself, how are you, you know, helping other people? Uh, And, you know, what I started to recognize was that, you know, the advice that I had learned to give in school. Uh, the advice that I would give people uh, when they came to me with heart disease wasn't working. It wasn't working for me. It wasn't working for them. And, you know, I recognized that a different approach was needed. And at that point, you know, I started to come across some different information. I started to ask some different questions. And I, you know, 
found some different answers, I guess you would say, about what really causes heart disease, uh, which is the number one killer in the United States, and why heart disease remains um, the number one killer far and away for us, uh, despite the fact that we're being told that, you know, if you eat a low-fat diet and you take your medication, uh, that is the way to avoid heart disease. Uh, so once I was able to fix my own health, lose over 100 pounds, reverse my pre-diabetes, um, and I recognized, you know, what we should be doing to keep people off of the operating table and avoid heart disease, it has become my mission to, you know, spread that information uh, far and wide. And uh, like I said, to empower people uh, to keep themselves off of my operating table. So, you know, I'm I'm really excited to go down this path with you because the traditional, as you said, the traditional doctor will tell you, okay, so eat some Quaker oats, take your statins, you know, get on get on whatever medication that that fits to bring the blood pressure down. Um, but you've got a bit of a different approach to health, so. Let's start there. So, and you discovered this on your own journey to lose the hundred pounds to, to not be pre-diabetic. Uh, so, somebody listening to this saying, "Okay, well, I, you know, my doctor told me to eat my oats and eat a low-fat diet and and take these meds." So, what should we be doing? Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, we need to understand what the true root cause of heart disease is. And again, you know, the story that's been built uh, and the way that your doctor likely has been educated is uh, based on the understanding that cholesterol uh, is the primary driver of heart disease. And that relates to, you know, the cholesterol that we're eating in the foods and the amount of cholesterol that ends up in our bloodstream. And the various approaches, you know, from a dietary and a pharmaceutical standpoint to lower your cholesterol uh, as the primary means of preventing heart disease. And, you know, what I would say is we have been trying that approach now for uh, decades, uh, really for, you know, over 50 years that cholesterol has been the focus when it comes to heart disease, and we're not seeing the impact from it. Uh, like I said, heart disease remains far and away the number one killer every year in the United States, kills over 650,000 people. And so, um, you know, and, and we're doing all of the things that we've been asked to do. You know, when you look at uh, how much dietary cholesterol, how much dietary fat, uh, you know, we eat here in the United States, uh, it has gone down significantly. Uh, more and more people are on medications to lower their cholesterol. It, it, uh, cholesterol lowering medications have become the most commonly prescribed class of medications, uh, for chronic disease. And yet, um, like I said, we're not seeing an impact on heart disease. So when we go back and we say, well, maybe we got that, you know, maybe cholesterol isn't really the root cause. Uh, what we find is that there has always been sort of an alternative theory here, uh, and it is that um, sugar, uh, and specifically uh, our body's response to uh, excess sugar and carbohydrate intake, which is something we call insulin resistance, 
Uh, this is really the true root cause of heart disease. And so we need to then step back and say, how do we address insulin resistance? Because that is what is going to lead us to uh, meaningful reductions in our risk of heart disease. So there's been a lot of talk in recent years about the role that sugar has in terms of the body's inflammatory response. Talk to us a little bit more about insulin resistance. Give us insulin resistance 101 here. Yeah, sure thing. So, you know, insulin is one of our, uh, what we call master hormones. It's one of the substances in our body that really, you know, uh, signals sort of the overall um, uh, direction that our body is going in, the overall strategy that our body is using. And uh, what insulin does, the, the main reason that people hear about insulin is in the context of sugar and specifically diabetes. Uh, and, you know, so one of the roles that insulin plays in our body is when sugar comes in, uh, when we eat carbohydrates and when we eat sugar, uh, and that sugar is now in our bloodstream, uh, sugar at excessive levels in our bloodstream is directly toxic. It damages our blood vessels. It damages our organs. So the body wants to get it out of the bloodstream. And insulin comes along to get sugar out of the bloodstream. And there are a number of places that it can, you know, kind of put that sugar. Uh, you know, some of it can just be burned for energy. Uh, and then some of it gets put into the liver. Some of it gets put into the muscle, and then the rest of it gets put into our fat cells to store when we can't use it right away. And the problem is, is that as those storage areas start to get full, um, they stop responding to the insulin. Uh, so you can picture, um, you know, sort of the train conductor trying to load people onto the train car, and uh, that that conductor is the insulin. And he's telling all these sugar molecules to go get on this car, uh, you know, which is destined for uh, your fat cells. And at some point, you know, the car starts to get full and people kind of stop listening to the conductor and can't get on the train anymore. And that's basically what's happening with insulin resistance. Your fat cells, your liver, uh, your muscle cells all say, well, we can't take any more sugar, uh, so we're going to stop listening to the insulin. And now um, the sugar starts to accumulate in our body, in our bloodstream. It starts to stay in our bloodstream, and that's what starts to cause damage to the blood vessels that leads to heart disease, for instance. Hey, guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go.
So this isn't obviously something that happens overnight. Right? Correct. This happens. So, you know, and as a teenager, I, everything I ate, you know, was sugar, right? Like, like most people. So for most people, and again, I know this is a really loaded question. Uh, for most people, when does the negative effects of this really start impacting them? Is this showing up in their 40s? When do we really start seeing this statistically? Yeah, so this this is one of the other uh, issues that we struggle with is that we fail to recognize this as an early stage. And, you know, this process uh, really starts pretty early in life. And uh, one of the unfortunate things that we see now is that it's starting earlier and earlier. Uh, so when we look at something like, you know, the end product of insulin resistance, which is type 2 diabetes, um, we see that now showing up in teenagers, uh, which is pretty scary uh, because that, you know, they are already far along this process. It turns out that if you're looking for the right things, uh, you can detect this a lot earlier than when it gets to the point of diabetes. So one of the issues that we have around this is that doctors pay attention to the amount of sugar in people's bloodstreams. We measure their blood glucose level. Uh, almost every time you go and get blood work done, uh, you know, as part of routine physicals, you're going to get either your glucose level checked or you're going to get something called a hemoglobin A1C test, which is a reflection of how much sugar has been in your bloodstream over about a three-month period. And the issue there uh, is that for a, a period of time, probably a decade, maybe even longer, uh, your body, the insulin is working correctly and it's keeping the sugar levels in your blood uh, within the normal range, but it's taking more and more insulin to accomplish that because the cells aren't responding as much to the insulin. So the body's response is, we'll just make more insulin to get the sugar out of the bloodstream. And we can do that for a while. Uh, but because most doctors don't check your insulin level, and this is one of the key take-homes that I want people to understand, is ask your doctor not only to check your glucose level, but to check your insulin level as well. Because if you detect early on that your insulin level is running high, you know you're in the early stages of this process. And that's when we have the best chance to intervene, to change our habits, and to start to then reverse the insulin resistance that's occurring. Once you get to a stage two diabetes, can it be reversed or, you know, fully? I mean, it sounds like yeah, you were so able to fully reverse yours. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't personally, you know, uh, full-blown diabetes. Right. I was kind of what they call pre-diabetes. I was right. in this insulin resistance stage, but I now do routinely work with people who do have the full-blown type 2 diabetes. And the traditional approach to that, again, is just to manage it. We'll put you on medicines, which help to keep your blood sugar under control. Uh, over time, that usually leads to more and more medicine. Uh, higher and higher doses and adding different medicines. Uh, and ultimately, you know, a lot of people with type 2 diabetes end up 
having to now inject insulin because their bodies can no longer make enough. Uh, but it turns out that you can actually effectively reverse type 2 diabetes. And uh, the way to do so is basically to minimize your intake of carbohydrates, uh, sugar and carbohydrates. And now you're going to lower your body's need for insulin. Uh, your body can actually become more responsive to the insulin over time, and you can reverse type 2 diabetes. Uh, but most doctors aren't actually aware of that. They haven't seen it ever happen. Uh, they haven't done it with their patients. And, you know, not your doctor's fault. They just haven't been educated about this because we don't talk about it. But we now have, you know, plenty of evidence that it's possible. Uh, myself, many other physicians out there have worked with many, many patients to do so, published scientific studies on it. And, you know, again, another key takeaway for your audience if you have type 2 diabetes, ask your doctor, what can I do to reverse this instead of just managing it with the medications? I love this. So you've painted a very uh, terrifying picture for a lot of us because sugar is in, in so much that we eat. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you something as a curiosity uh, first before we moved on to kind of the more practical application of healthy habits to stay off your operating table. So why do you think now, why is it showing up in younger and younger people now? If, you know, sugar's been in everything for decades, but why now is this becoming more of a problem? Yeah. So, you know, two things to understand here. One is it's not just sugar. Uh, sugar is one of the components of our food supply and specific specifically our processed food supply uh, that is damaging our body's uh, kind of metabolic machinery and leading to these problems. Um, and I believe that the reason that we're seeing it more and more and earlier and earlier is because our food supply has become so toxic. Um, you know, when you walk into a supermarket these days, um, 95% of what's in there uh, is really not what should be considered food. A good friend of mine, you know, uh, came up with a term. He calls this stuff near food objects, NFOs. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the real food is the stuff that your great grandparents would have recognized. Um, it's, the, it's the things that grow in the ground and the things that eat the things that grow in the ground. Uh, you know, the produce and the animal products that are there in their minimally processed forms. And this is really what we were meant to eat. This is what we evolved eating as human beings. So it's really only been within the past 50 to 100 years that we've introduced these near food objects into our food supply, and they have now become the dominant part of our food supply. And this is why we are seeing these uh, problems show up more prominently and earlier in life. Uh, because literally, for some people now, from the day they are born, uh, you know, they start getting these processed foods. Uh, even things like infant formula, you know, have uh, large amounts of uh, carbohydrates and sugar, 
have uh, vegetable and seed oils, these fake oils that have been developed uh, because we are so afraid of, we've been told to fear eating the natural effects that occur in animal products and dairy, for instance. And so we've now created this toxic food environment uh, that is making people sicker and sicker. Okay, so that was going to kind of lead me to some of the questions. What do we eat? I mean, obviously, don't eat Snickers and don't eat pizza every day, right? That takes care of the carbs and the sugar. But you, you kind of tease us. So, you know, we've been taught that some of these things are bad and there are some oils that you know, we're using that are not so good. So let's start with oils. What's, uh, what's, what are the hard, healthy oils that we should be eating and what shouldn't, what kind of oils should we not be eating? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately these days, the advice that I have to give to people is if you're looking at a cooking oil and it has a heart healthy sticker on it, heart healthy label, it is not heart healthy. Um, it, really any of these processed oils, these vegetable and seed oils, we should be avoiding. And we should be getting back to what we evolved as human beings eating, what our grandparents and our great-grandparents would use. Um, and these are the animal fats uh, that come from, you know, the environment around us. Uh, and then there may be some room for the non-processed, what we call fruit fats, which are, um, you know, things like coconut oil, avocado oil, and olive oil. Uh, now, one caveat there that I give people with those oils is you got to make sure it's the real stuff uh, because a lot of this, a lot of what gets sold, uh, particularly as olive oil uh, here in the United States, is not real olive oil. It, it's cut with vegetable and seed oils because that's less expensive for the food manufacturer. So stick to the natural animal fats um, and these include things like, you know, butter, uh, lard, which is going to be pork fat, tallow, which is going to be beef fat. Uh, and then, uh, you can also add olive oil, coconut oil, and avocado oil, the fruit oils. You want to avoid the vegetable and seed oils. Okay. Good stuff. Dairy. Is dairy. Dairy's okay. Dairy in moderation. What's your position on dairy? Yeah. So again, I believe that dairy uh, can be uh, part of a healthy diet. Um, I believe that it should be minimally processed dairy, which means it should be the full fat dairy, not the skim milk that they've stripped the fat out of and put sugar into. Um, uh, and then, you know, some people do need to pay attention to the fact that they you know, dairy can be a trigger for uh, autoimmune type conditions, autoimmune type reactions. Some people don't tolerate dairy, uh, but, you know, there's not, again, dairy was villainized uh, because it contained higher levels of saturated fat. And we were told that we need to get the fat out of our diet and take it out of your dairy products. And that's how we came up with all these low fat dairy products. Um, which are just processed food in another form. So if you're going to consume dairy, it should be the real stuff, um, kind of as close to how it comes out of the, uh, you know, the cow or the goat or the sheep as possible. And, um, you know, if you have uh, certain autoimmune conditions or certain uh, um, kind of allergies to some of the components, 
you might need to be careful about consuming dairy. Got it. And obviously, if things like beef tallow and lard, ghee and butter, if those are okay, then clearly in some capacity, the meat that they come from is okay. Exactly. Uh, So talk to us a little bit, though, about the meat to vegetable ratio, because I presume we're we're not canceling vegetables here, like vegetables are good. Well, you know, um, I would tell you that vegetables don't have any unique uh, nutritional advantages over really? animal products. Um, animal products are what we primarily evolved eating as human beings. Uh, our digestive system, everything is designed for us to uh, eat the animals. It's not necessarily optimized for us to eat the uh, plants and the vegetables. And, um, you know, when you look at uh, autoimmune conditions, which have become more and more common, um, we oftentimes see these things being triggered by plant proteins, by by plant uh, uh, matter. Uh, So we may need to avoid plants in certain situations. And then a lot of the fruit uh, in particular, more so than the vegetables, but some vegetables as well, are going to be very high in natural sugars. And people will say, well, it's a natural sugar, it's okay to eat. And that may be true, uh, but if you are already insulin resistant and metabolically broken, um, any sugars, whether they're natural sugars or the added sugar in the candy bar, your body doesn't differentiate them and won't be able to properly process them. Uh, So for some people, the answer is, yeah, you may need to minimize uh, especially certain fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. as you're trying to recover from uh, your insulin resistance. Very interesting. This is, uh, I I can hear children all over the country celebrating their vegetables are going to go away from their parents who listen. It is pretty interesting, (laughs) uh, you know. And this whole story of, you know, vegetables being essential for our health um, has really been built around, um, yeah, if you're substituting the vegetable for a candy bar, definite improvement uh, in your health. Uh, But I would put forth that they're not necessarily optimal for us. They're just better than some of the alternatives. I want to talk about a couple of other things to keep us off your operating table here. Exercise and uh, supplements like vitamins, things like that. So let's start with exercise. So do you, is it the, you know, high end, high endurance cardiovascular type stuff that you recommend? Is it the, you know, heavy weights? What, what do you see as the, the best kind of exercise for heart health? Yeah, I think the best exercise when it comes to heart health is going to be uh, the resistance exercises that are going to help you to build and maintain muscle. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, First of all, you know, muscle, as I mentioned earlier, uh, muscle is actually a place that our body can put excess glucose. And muscle is going to be uh, more metabolically active uh, to burn off some of that excess sugar that we might consume. Uh, So from a metabolic standpoint, having more muscle uh, becomes uniquely advantageous. Um, we also have plenty of data showing us that the better you are at uh, building and maintaining muscle as you get older, uh, the longer you're going to live and the better quality of life you're going to have. 
Uh, so, you know, as a concept, people are always talking about they want to live longer. But the reality is, is when you say to someone, well, if you could live to 110, but you're going to spend the last 30 to 40 years of your life in nursing homes and not able to, you know, do things for yourself and you're going to need all of this help. People kind of reconsider that and say, yeah, I don't really want to live longer necessarily. I want to live better. Uh, And ideally, we'll do both. But uh, maintaining that quality of life becomes important and muscle is essential for doing that. Now, that doesn't mean that the cardio exercise is bad for you or it shouldn't be done. It's just that if, like many of us, you know, you have limited time and you're trying to figure out what to prioritize when it comes to your exercise, I would tell you to prioritize the resistance exercise first and foremost. Got it. And what about, what are the top one or two supplements for heart health you would recommend somebody take over the counter? Well, you know, uh, I would tell people that um, if you're eating a proper diet, there should be minimal need for supplements. Hmm. So I'm not a big fan of kind of blanket supplementation. Now, with that being said, there are some common uh, deficiencies that we see people uh, that is going to contribute to uh, your metabolic problems. Uh, and specifically, when we look at heart disease, uh, one nutrient in particular uh, that is very important is uh, vitamin K2. Um, and vitamin K2 is uniquely found in animal products. So uh, this is where I go back to um, eat a lot of animal products and you'll get your vitamin K2. Uh, but if not, you may want to add that as a supplement and a kind of, uh, you know, co co-vitamin that works together with the vitamin K2 is vitamin D. And vitamin D is something that many of us are deficient in. Uh, So vitamin D probably becomes, uh, along with vitamin K2, becomes one of the most common supplements that I recommend. Perfect. Well, this has been fantastic. You've scared us all a little bit, but given us some really good information that hopefully people can use to rebuild their heart health if it's a problem for them. And so stay off those carbs, stay off that sugar. So Dr. Philip, uh, I've loved our time together. As you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests a single question, and that is what is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Yeah. So really, you know, the biggest helping I want people to understand from this conversation is that they are in charge of their health that they are empowered, uh, and that they can make these changes uh, to avoid, uh, and, you know, avoid my operating table and to really feel their best every day. Don't be sitting back waiting for your doctor to do this for you. Don't think that you know, the government is going to do this for you. Uh, it is up to you to take charge of your health, empower yourself, educate yourself, and figure out how you can get yourself to optimal health. Well said. Tell us where people can learn more about you online and get their hands on your book. Sure thing. So iFixHearts uh, is where to find me. Uh, iFixHearts.com is the website. Uh, right on the front page, free quiz that people can get, that people can take to assess their metabolic health and figure out uh, if they might be struggling with insulin resistance. Uh, you can find all my resources linked there as well. Uh, the book, 
stay off my operating table, widely available on all of the uh, usual places. Uh, and um, I look forward to working with people uh, to assist them in this. We have uh, a number of ways that we do that. We have courses, we have coaching programs, and I have a private telemedicine practice that I see people throughout the United States uh, to help them optimize their metabolic health and stay off my operating table. Perfect. Well, we will share all of those links in the show notes for your, epi- for your episode at drrichardschuster.com. So uh, many people can take advantage of that. Well, Dr. Philip, I loved our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us on The Daily Helping. Thank you, Dr. Richard. No, this was great. And I also want to thank each and every one of you as well who took time out of your day to hear this conversation. If you liked it, if you learned something, if you're inspired, if you're throwing out the carbs, go give us a five-star review on your app of choice where you listen to podcasts because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 